Lord God, we come before you. We humbly recognize that without you, we don't have anything, Lord. If we have you, we have everything. And God, as we come before your word and we look at First John today, God, I ask that you would open our eyes to the ways that we have not been following you and that you would convict our hearts in all of the things that we have done against you, God. But I also pray, Lord, that we would be comforted by your spirit and that you would walk with us in this life and challenge us and help us to grow in Christ. Help us to have true knowledge of God. We give all glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It is a privilege and an honor to be with you today. I'm so thankful to have this opportunity. First, can we just give a round of applause to all the people, the worship and tech and everyone who's been running coffee. Thanks, you guys. You guys are just awesome. I know that uh, the worship team was rehearsing today at 8 in the morning. Um, so even though there's no connection class, they are dedicated troopers. So there are a few things in the world uh, as important and as hotly contested as the concept of what it means to have true knowledge. It seems that today people are fine with, claiming, with you claiming to know something as long as your claims don't impose any judgment or any condemnation upon them, Right? If their beliefs and actions and their mindsets, as long as they're not judged, that's fine. That's true for you, but not for me. Truth is subjective, not objective. So many people disagree from what kind of pizza they like to what religion they like, right? So, therefore, truth must be relative. How can we really know absolute truth? So, truth has kind of become loosely defined in the following ways. Uh, It's based on cultural conditions, it's not transcendent above culture or society. So what I mean by this is that what's true in Alaska may not be true in India. That's the argument. Subjective, not objective. So imagine emotions versus the law of gravity, right? So your emotions can go up and down like the waves. Law of gravity doesn't care. It's, you're going to go down regardless, right? Um, and it's relative, not absolute. So what's true for you may not be true for me. Versus, truth is truth for everyone. So we live in a culture in which we're embracing a new concept of what truth is. We're flattening out truth into something it was never meant to be. And ultimately, this is just a strange drumbeat of culture we have, where it's, it's fine to pursue truth, just keep it away from my culture, keep it away from my society, keep it away from me, keep it away from my doorstep, don't judge me, don't say anything that is in contrary to anything you believe. Um, See, but the issue is that when we do that, when we take uh, and we when we uh, grab at humility and political correctness and and tolerance, which are good things, right? They're good things. When we grab those and make those the the main thing about truth, we actually we miss the point about truth. See, knowledge of truth and the willingness to act in light of that knowledge is the catalyst for action in this world. What if there was truth available to you as a believer that could bring incredible confidence? and how you live your life in a world that is constantly shifting in values and morality. John wants you to know that you can have this truth, that you can know you have this truth. And John wants, us to, uh, John wants us for us to know a few crucial things about the Christian life. Now, this passage we're going to be going through, the word know occurs seven times. It's the central 
theme of the passage. That is the overwhelming point. John wants us to know this truth. The reason is because John is writing to a group of people who have been shaken in their faith. They're wavering. What has happened to the people that John is writing to in 1 John? Well, it's, it's pretty dark outside as it's 2 in the morning. You're on the red-eye flight from Los Angeles to New York. You got on board with a, the airline with a friend you made in the airport, nice guy named Steve, family man. You both made a decision to trust that the pilot was well-trained, that the airline was safe, and the airplane was well-maintained. After a while, Steve grabs you and tells you, and he's, he's starting, I'm starting to doubt the pilot's abilities to land this plane. And you try to reassure Steve, but he keeps getting irritated with what you're saying. What was just Steve running around to a few dozen people, what was, what was just Steve running around becomes a few dozen people in a hurry. He starts to convince other people, I can't tr- you can't trust the pilots. You can't trust the pilot's abilities, his skills. So the flight attendant, thankfully, right, the, sa- the only sane person on the plane, gets up and says, ladies and gentlemen, there's no reason to be alarmed. There's no reason to fear. And you're like, ah, thankfully, yes. Someone is going to stand up and is going to calm Steve down, going to calm all these other people down. Gonna be real, everyone's going to be fine. And she says, it's true. You can't trust the pilot. If you follow me, we will go find a real pilot that we can trust in. In just the next second, she opens the emergency hatch door and jumps out. <laughs> now you watch in horror as people start following her to the outside of the plane where it's not safe. Because obviously if anyone knows you jump out of a plane, what's going to happen without a parachute? All right. That image is in your minds now. Um, and Steve, you grab Steve and you say, Steve, don't jump out of the plane. Listen, you can trust the pilot. And Steve's just like, you know, he just looks at you with pity and disdain. He says, you just don't get it, do you? You can't trust the pilot. You can't trust what he said on the intercom. You can't trust your boarding pass. You are living a lie. And he jumps out the plane. If you were in that situation, how would you be feeling? What questions would you be asking? Let's be honest. If that was happening to me, I'm going to have a whole host of questions. Like, maybe they're right. Maybe, that's what, maybe, maybe, I'm just, maybe I'm the one who's missing the point here. Maybe they're the ones who are correct. We start to believe that. If that could happen to Steve, could that happen to me? I don't know nearly as much about the plane or the pilot as the flight attendant. Could she be right? Why would a good pilot allow this to happen? What if the pilot is going to crash the plane and I'm wasting my time here when I could just walk out the door and look for a better pilot? What could I have done or not done to prevent all these people from jumping out of the plane? And many more questions, right? You would be shaken, confused, doubting, angry, and feeling weak in your knowledge about what you perceive to be truth. Now, we aren't that different today. I have felt all of those things when I've watched my friends walk away from the faith and reject the gospel, reject Jesus Christ. With this passage, it's as if John just leaps out of his seat, shuts the emergency hatch door, and says, no, no, I am testifying that you can actually know truth. You can actually know God. You can know you have eternal life. You can know he hears your prayers. You can know you have victory over sin and so much more. Listen to me. Don't believe those who have left. Don't believe those who have rejected the gospel and rejected the scriptures. And that is what John is doing. He is pleading with people. He is helping them to recall and to remember what Christ has done, what God has done in their lives. So as we look at these truths, I just, John wants them to get deep into our soul. 
Uh, I just pray that the Spirit would testify to the person and work of Christ and the power of the Scriptures as we consider these. Uh, let's look at 1 John 5, 11 through 12. We'll start with 1 John 5, 11. <clears throat> now, before we get, get to our passage, I just want to make a brief comment, give a little bit of context. In the previous two verses before our passage, we find that John, the person who was perhaps the closest to Jesus while he was on earth, and who, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote the Gospel of John so people would come to faith in Christ. They would know that the testimony they've experienced is true. He boils down this testimony that the Spirit has given him and what he's experienced in his life to two verses. It's, just, it's incredible. 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I want to just briefly touch on this and we'll spend the rest of the time uh, 13 through 21. If you reject the Jesus of the Scriptures, you reject eternal life. If you trust in the Jesus of the Scriptures, you receive eternal life. The most miserable, depressing, horrible thing you can do is attempt to live the Christian life without Christ. And I know because I've done that. I have grown up in the church and I've lived in the church for a long, long time. But I didn't truly know Christ. So my, my plea to you who might find yourselves in this position would be that you would give up. Give up trying to build a sandcastle of self-righteousness, of pride, that will be washed away with God's wrath. Give up trying to fly a kite that's made of rocks glued together with your guilt and your sin. Give up trying to bench over like 10, 20, over and over God's commandments that you don't delight in. You don't care about God's commandments. You don't want to do them. My encouragement would just please give up. Confess your hypocrisy to God. Repent of your pride. Trust in Christ for salvation. And live the abundant eternal life of Christ. And that is my, my plea to you. Now, in this next passage, John focuses on, on to us who are Christians. So let's look at verse 13. This is the purpose statement of 1 John. Why did John write this epistle? We, hear, we have it right here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Now, if there's, it's, it's one thing to have something. It's another thing to know that you have something. Now, two guys can walk into Lids. Who knows what Lids is? Someone does. Kyle does. What's, what's Lids, Kyle? They sell hats. Simple, right? So two guys can walk into Lids, right? And they can both have $30 in their pocket, okay? Now, maybe they want to buy a snapback hat. That's fine. Snapback hats have been kind of ruined by my generation. But, uh, so maybe they want to buy this hat. And one, one guy goes up and he's like, you know, I know that I have $30. I'm 100% positive. I'm trusting in this. The other guy's like, I'm not really sure. Haven't checked my pockets. Haven't really thought about it. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I hope so. I think so. Maybe so. Can't really say, right? Which guy is going to be more excited about actually buying a hat that day? The guy who knows that he knows that he knows he's got $30 in his wallet. Right? Which guy is going to be more serious with that hat? It's going to be the guy that knows that he knows that he knows. And that's the thing is John wants us desperately to focus our attention on this and to really know that we have eternal life. Not to merely just maybe hopefully, but to know it and understand it well. Now, we waver so many times. When we should feel confident, we waver in our trust in God, right? So emotions, feelings, bad circumstances, ignorance of who God is, bad theology, 
These things push against us and make us waver. But instead, we ought to look to Christ and to trust in Him. John is calling us ultimately to look to Jesus. The promises that we have in the Scripture are all tied in with Christ. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith in Hebrews 12.2. He gives us eternal life and no one can snatch us out of His hand. John 10.28. He is our high priest who intercedes for us in prayer and we can approach Him in confident grace, confident prayer for grace and mercy. We are co-heirs with Him. Nothing can separate us from God's love through Christ. And we have every spiritual blessing in Christ in Ephesians 1. God wants us to fully lean into the knowledge, this true knowledge of who God is for all of our life. My first point is this. We can know that we have eternal life because we have Christ. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now, John wants us to redirect our attention to a sign that, that plagues us in our daily life. Now, I remember times where I've experienced communion with God and a zealous belief, a zealous trust that my prayers have been answered, that God hears me, that God is listening to me, that he was moving my heart. But I also remember many times when you pray and you don't feel that. You don't experience communion with God. You feel like God is distant. Or that you're asking not out of expectancy that He will do something, but disbelief. That your heart is cold, that my heart is cold, right? We've experienced this in our life. Now, our confidence in what God has done prompts us to talk to Him, to thank Him, to give glory to Him, to just want to communicate with Him, to speak with Him, and to pray for others. And there is no doubt that the believers felt like God wasn't listening. Why is this happening, God? Why are these brothers and sisters of mine walking away from the faith? These are people I love and truly care about. Why are they walking away? I'm praying for them and nothing is happening. Do you truly hear me? And this is what John wants us to do, is restore our confidence in God. See, it's a simple train of thought. We pray based on confidence... We have because of faith in Christ, in which we have because of God. God hears all our requests, both those that were of His will and those that were not of His will. And God answers our requests according to His will and for His glory and for our good. That's, that's difficult to get because we kind of want things our way. And it's hard to submit to that. But Tim Keller has an excellent new book on prayer, this quote that just really hit me. Um, Ask and you shall receive. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask with confidence and hope. Don't be afraid that you will ask the wrong thing. Of course you will. God tempers the outcome with his incomprehensible wisdom. Cry, ask, and appeal, and you will get many answers. Finally, where you don't get an answer or where the answer is not what you want, use prayer to enable you to rest in his will. For a this is something that just struck out, uh, stuck out to me and it just continues to hit me, is that am I really like, submitting to God's will in my prayer life? Are we submitting to God's will in our prayer lives? Are we willing to rest in whatever He says or doesn't say? Are we willing to trust in Him? And it's hard to do. It's very difficult to do. We often think just uh, of a bucket list of things we just want to 
go to God and say, these are the things I want you to change in my life, or these are the things that, these are the people that need to be changed, because you know better than maybe what God does, right? Sometimes we come to him out of arrogance and pride, but God wants us to have a trust in him that he knows what is right and he knows what is good. So my second point is we can know that our prayers are always heard and always answered in accordance with God's will for us. And this gives us great joy, great confidence in who God is and what he does for us. Let's look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Now, just for clarity's sake, this is a these are this is a very difficult verse. There are many different interpretations. I'm going to give you the best attempt I have. And if you want to talk to me afterwards, let's talk. Let's talk about it. I'd love to talk about it. Um, before I begin, I just want to say that John is really wants us to take theology, truth, knowledge about God, and to actually, he's pastorally, directly applying it to the situation that they're in. So it is crucial we understand the context of what's going on here. How can a sin not lead to death? I believe this is the sin of a believer that will not ultimately spiritually die because he has Christ. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2.1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. 1 John 3, 18-20. This is an important one. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. There are times we feel condemned, but we ought to seek Christ. We ought to seek forgiveness, seek reconciliation. This is the sin of a believer that is going to be convicted by the Spirit. So we're encouraged to pray for him. We're encouraged to, to come to God and to ask God, will you please help my brother? Show him that he's sinning. And we're encouraged to do that before we go over there and smash him in the face, right? That's our temptation. All right, well, this guy's sinning. All right, I, I got to grab him real quick. Got to grab him and yank him. No, no, actually, how about just pray, God, please, Spirit, work in his life so that he sees it, so that when I come to him, he doesn't come, he doesn't come back and say, you're just judging me. But instead, he's, he receives rebuke, right? So knowledge of God, the truth of God, affects how we pray for each other. Um, now, the sin that does lead to death, I believe, is someone who at one time he claimed Christ. He's in the church. He's walking alongside people. But now he rejects Christ. He rejects the gospel and is actively working against God and his people. Now, if you want to read a whole chapter on false teachers, Second Peter Chapter 2 is a great chapter to read. Um, it's not super encouraging because they're everywhere today and everywhere back then. Um, these are false teachers who they claim fellowship with God and practice sin. They claim they had never sinned and then they're calling God a liar. They say, I know God, but they didn't keep his commandments. They claim to love God while they were loving the world. They left the community of believers. They denied that Jesus is the God-man, that he's both fully God and fully man. They hated the brothers and sisters in Christ. They closed their hearts against God's people, and ultimately they rejected God's word, the apostles, and the church. Now, 
Here's the thing. We are truly a sympathetic people in America. Would you agree? Maybe? A couple maybes. We are the land of PSAs and post-school specials, right? Sitcoms that teach us in 20 minutes we can have life lessons that will last forever, right? Uh, and if anyone, if anyone in this world is going to learn the true meaning of Christmas, it will be from what the, the shows that we make and the movies we make. Now, now there is no doubt that uh, we as believers feel deeply and feel hurt and feel pain when someone rejects Christ and walks away. It is an incredibly painful experience. Whether it's your son or your daughter or a coworker at work, right? Whoever it is, it's a painful experience. Now, John has no interest in micromanaging our prayer lives. And ultimately, he leaves a decision in our own hands whether or not we are going to pray for this false teacher, this person that once was of us but now has left us. But at the end of the day, John wants our allegiance and loyalty to God's will to saturate our prayer lives, even when it's really difficult and even when we're trying to trust in him for something that's super, super hard. Um, there's a, I've never, I, I must have missed this verse, these couple of verses in the Bible because they're just really, really crazy and powerful and very applicable right here. Uh, Matthew 15, 10 through 14, um, Jesus is calling to the people. He called to the people and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a pit. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? What happened to the sitcom? That's kind of, oof, all right. Jesus. Um, then Jesus prays kind of in an interestingly different way with Peter. This is just fascinating. Uh, Luke twenty-two thirty-one through 32, this is at the Last Supper. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus understood truth. Jesus understood that there, that there would be people like the that would reject him and reject him and work against him and fight the church and do everything they could to stop the work of the gospel. And there would also be people like Peter who would cowardly run away from the cross, cowardly run away from Christ. And in one instance, these people are sinning unto death. In this instance, it's not a sin that leads to death. So this is what I am saying. I'm saying that we ought to have confidence in how we pray we ought to have confidence and trust in god's will that it will be done right that he will bring about justice so perhaps the pharisees continue to reject christ so to show god's justice and his wrath and his judgment and his holiness and perhaps the disciples right so you see the disciples perhaps they are brought back they run away from the cross they're brought back to show God's grace and love and mercy. Now, we need to accept that even though we don't like particular parts of God, for, uh, sometimes we feel like this is too much, we need to trust that He is who He says He is and have confidence in Him. At the end of the day, John is saying, listen, you don't have to bear the weight of trying to pray a false teacher into salvation. It's 
For some of you, it's too personal. It's too much. It's too difficult. It's a burden that you can't carry. But Christ can carry that burden for you and is carrying that burden for you. And so this is a complicated text, but I just want very briefly just to make this simple point. Let's pray in light of truth. Not ignorance, not speculation, but what God has already given us in the Scriptures. And let's have confidence that when we pray, we are praying everything, even, even if we mess up and we don't pray correctly, everything, everything is going to go according with God's will. And He wants us to pray and participate in that. So let's look at verse 17. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So very quickly again, John is just saying... Listen, anything you do against God is sinful. Those last couple of verses, I'm not trying to diminish sinfulness of people. That is meant to ch- it, those couple of verses are meant to challenge us in how we pray for each other and love each other. So when we pray for other believers, we are directly following God's will, and we can pray with confidence that He hears and answers our requests. Let's look at verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So the third point I just want to make is we know that we have victory over sin. Now, I love playing board games and card games. I really do. How many people play board games and card games in here? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. All right, a couple people. All right, cool. So I really enjoy it. Um, regardless if I win or not, it's kind of better. You know, you kind of get a little more triumph. Ugh, triumph if we win, but... That's okay. I can be a good loser too, right? So we all can be good losers. That's wonderful. Um, so anyway, all that to say, I enjoy And there's, there's times that in which you get this, once in a blue moon, you get a perfect hand, right? You get a royal flush. You're immediately dealt the cards you need to win. And nobody knows, right? So you're like, oh, this is great. You're kind of just like giggling inside. Ah, this is wonderful. This is so wonderful. And it's like, that very rarely happens, right? Um, so it's this incredible feeling, this incredible confidence. It's like, yes, I know what's going to happen. Like they're going to have to throw the table up and throw the board game up, and that's the only way that they're going to stop me from winning this game, right? This is the same confidence that we have, that if we have been born of God, that we do not keep on sinning. Sin will not become a pattern of our life. Instead, we will turn away from that because we have Christ. Not only won't keep on sinning as a pattern of life, but can't keep on sinning as a pattern of life. Jesus protects you, just like he protected Peter. And even though Peter underwent great distress and doubt, his faith was kept because it was given to him by God. Your faith will be kept if it has been given to you by God. It's that simple. It's incredible that um, we have this confession of faith by Peter. uh, And Jesus says, you know, who do people say that I am? Right? Well, Jesus, some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Peter, who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Now, can we just for a moment remember this incredible fact, this incredible truth, that the faith that we have, has been, if it has been given to us by God, What in the world can take it away? Nothing. That is incredible and powerful. Even when we are facing just horrible tribulations or distress or persecution or doubts or feeling like we're wavering all over the place, God's faith is 
going to continue in our lives. Ultimately, our greatest joy should be that the goodness we have is from God. We know, and we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 19, sorry. <clears throat> the fourth point, the last point, or second to last point. We're almost there, guys. Second to last point that I want to make. We know that we belong to God. So just as we think about God's word, consider how incredible it is just that it has been preserved for thousands of years for us to read, for us to meditate on. It is without error. It is united. It is accurate. It is clear. And this is an incredible gift that we have been given from God to us. Now, if God is able to create and maintain all that was and is and ever has been, if He is able and willing and does raise up foreign empires to beat on the people of God in the Old Testament and then delivers them through judges and through prophets and through kings, if God is able to tear down city walls and part the sea, if God is able to send His Son to die on the cross and to raise Him to life, then how can we not trust that He will keep us? It is tempting to look around at a world that rejects Christ. It is tempting to see all of the things that are against God and to feel overwhelmed and to feel depressed and to feel distressed. But we must remember that we belong to God and that He has saved us to follow Him. Can I just plead with you to remember this truth that we are the church of God, that we are the community of believers that He knows. He knows us by name. And if He knows us by name, then what can stop us from advancing and moving forward and growing in Christ and living holy lives and following Him and making disciples? There is nothing that can stop us because we have Christ. And that is what I want to just impress upon you today. It feels constantly like we are always so defensive as Christians, like we're always so afraid of, well, this might happen, and this might happen, and this might happen, and overwhelmed with this anxiety and this worry. You are known by God. Your name is known by God. He loves you. He cares for you. He's protecting you. You have been born again. You have eternal life. You have victory over sin. How in the world can we hold ourselves back from a world that needs God's love when we have received it. We ought to be challenged in this truth and but also also incredibly comforted because it, ultimately it's God that's done the work in our lives. Ultimately it's God that's done the work in our lives. John also wants to point to a reality that we probably don't talk about too much today. We kind of tend to believe it. Um, but we say that well, you know, I'm just kind of neutral. I'm kind of ambivalent about these certain things. Um, John is saying, you know, when it comes to Jesus, there's no one who is neutral in this world. Now, either they're serving, following Jesus, or they're serving and following something else. And that is a very hard division. And, it, and at times it feels very, very overwhelming because we sense that we see all these things that are happening in the world. We see all these things that happen in our lives and our neighborhoods. And we feel overwhelmed. But we should not feel overwhelmed. We should feel encouraged. We should feel confident in the truth, the knowledge that God has given us. Verse 20. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. The last point I want to make. We can know Him who is true. Jesus came to this earth and has given us an understanding or a knowledge about the gospel. This knowledge was given to us so we could have a personal relationship with God. We have this relationship with God only because we trust in Christ. We abide in Christ. We trust in Him for salvation. And this is something we must constantly remember and cling to when we walk in this world, walk in our Christian lives. And the reason we have to constantly be reminding ourselves of the gospel is because of the next verse, in verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is kind of a strange, it's kind of, where did this come from, John? don't really understand where this came from. Um, if we can know that we have eternal life in Christ, if we can know that our prayers are always heard and always answered by God, if we can know that we have victory over sin and protection from the enemy, if we can know that we are God's children and belong to Him, if we can know, if we can know Jesus Christ personally, as our friend, as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as, a, as our champion, as our intercessor, as our high priest, as our king, if we can know Him personally, how can we give ourselves to other things? How is it that we can worship things that are not worthy? How can we do this? And it's easy. It's just a drift. It's just forgetting the gospel and forgetting what He has done for us. I, I just want us to really remember this and, and to really consider this um, as we think about these things. Every single time you lift up your hand to praise God, you are, you are smashing an idol. One hand goes up to praise God, the other hand goes down to smash an idol in your life. Maybe it's the idol of security. Maybe it's the idol of risk. Maybe you can't stop risking. Maybe it's the idol of family. You put your family above all else. Maybe it's the idol of money and greed. Maybe, maybe you have an idol of a different kind of Jesus where you, you really like the Jesus that will say, you know, um, judge not lest ye be judged. But you, you don't like the Jesus that will say, they're blind guides. Woe are the Pharisees. Woe are these people. Jesus that is throwing over tables. The king of creation, the king of heaven and earth. Whatever your idol is, whatever it is that you are choosing to follow and worship and, and think of higher than God, the only way you can be free from that is if you trust God and look and see what He has done. And to know that He is far more worthy than any idol that we can, that we can worship. At the end of the day... As we consider these truths, um, I would just want to encourage you to remember that you can know God's truth. You can have knowledge of God. I do feel often we enter into situations, scenarios, in the workplace and in school and with family and with relationships and friendships, and, and we, we tend towards wanting to simply just hide back because we are afraid and we are fearful. But that is not what John wants us to do. 
John wants us to have confidence that not only do you have God, but you can know that you have God and that you can communicate the gospel to others and love others and show that love to people. So my encouragement um, as we, we close here, continue to study this book. Look and see what other truths and knowledge it has for you. Knowledge, true knowledge of God is, is the greatest catalyst for your Christian life. It is the greatest way by which you can follow God because you will begin to live in light of that knowledge. You will begin to live in light of who God is and what He has done for you. And that is incredible. And this love and joy and obedience and truth that we cling to and hold to, we cannot merely hold to it and keep it to ourselves. We must share it with others because it has so changed our lives and has so freed us from sin. We know the God who has saved us. We know Jesus Christ. I pray that, that, would, that this passage, this text, would give you full assurance and confidence in the Scriptures. When you see someone who walks away from Christ, remember that God is the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember that. And remember what He has done in your life. Remember the Gospel. Be comforted by this truth. Let's pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you. (coughs) Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the way in which it convicts, Lord, and challenges us. Thank you, Lord, that you are good and you do what is right. Lord God, I thank you that we can know that we have eternal life because we can know the Son. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see that every day. In Jesus' name, amen.